thank you for being here today. And I want to thank everyone who's watching online. Thank you for taking time to stop this busy weekend and come worship with us. I want to do something fun. Everybody has a cell phone in their pocket. We're going to do something that we're not supposed to do. We're going to pull out our cell phones. So if you do, pull out your phone real quick. This is going to be fun. My favorite part about our church is we have this value that we value family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ because Jesus has saved us and our Father has adopted us. That makes us, that makes us relatives. And that's kind of scary if you realize you're related to me, right? But we have brothers and sisters that are not with us this morning for a variety of reasons because of this virus, but they're actually watching with us online. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go real quickly. I want you to go to the J First Assembly Facebook page, and I want you to find this live stream video. Be careful, because if you click it, then you're going to hear myself echoing, and that's all right. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the comments, and I want you to say hi to somebody, and then I want you to like and share this video. So I'm going to do it right now. Hi, everyone. And I told you not to let it echo, and I'm letting it echo right now. If you hear it, now you're going to hear the echo here in just a second. See, rookie mistakes right here. But I want you to like and share that and say hi to someone. Here's why. Because we don't get to do handshaking time. That's one of my favorite things to do at church is to shake each other's hands, catch up with each other on the weekend. And right now that's not really available for a lot of us. And so this is the best we can do in this season. And let's maximize the best we can do. So when you like, share this, our friends and our families who, who can see it, but also more importantly, comment this morning to somebody. Tell them good morning, and you have my permission today to keep your phone out and to interact with people during service. As people are there watching online, I want them to feel like they're a part of it. And I want you to know if you're watching online, we value as family and we look forward to the day that you can join with us. And the church said, amen. Amen. All right. We're going to jump into the message today. We are in the middle of our series called Blueprint. And in this series, we're looking at the foundational doctrines of Christianity. Now, when we say doctrine, there is a lot of us in this room that just instantly check out. You're like, I did not come to church to hear a lecture on church doctrine, right? And there's very few of us that are geeks that like this type of thing, that can sit there and look into doctrine and debate theology. Brad is one of my friends that we could probably do that all the time. We like discussing and talking different viewpoints of theology and doctrine, but most of us are not that way. And when we say the word doctrine, a lot of us want to check out. We would much rather, you know, sit down with our tax agent or have a tooth pulled than talk about the finer points of doctrine. However, however, we, as we laid down the foundation last week, a lot of Christians don't know what they believe and why they believe it. And I think it's really important never to take my word for something. You need to study the word. You need to look at what scripture says and make sure that that's actually what the word is bringing forth. And here's what happens when we don't have that solid foundation of understanding we start randomly hitting the buttons of life, hoping that everything works out to the end, and it gets very frustrating. But what Romans 10 tells us is, is that hearing builds up faith. So when we study this word and we hear this word, it builds up our faith, and it gives us a blueprint to know how to walk out our faith and honor Christ. When we get to that point, then we're not just randomly hoping that everything works out in the end. We're following the blueprint that Scripture lays out for us. And so last week we talked about the doctrine of salvation and that Jesus's blood is enough for us. And we laid out why we talk so much about the blood of Jesus. The title of this message today is the end of the world as we know it. And we're going to be discussing the rapture. 
Now, a lot of people are fascinated with end times events. Like, we are fascinated with the apocalypse, the end of all things that we know. Some of the favorite movies that we have are about the end of the world. My favorite movie as a child was highly inappropriate for an eight-year-old to be watching, but I watched it nonetheless, and it was Terminator 2. Does anybody a Terminator fan besides me? Yeah, a very immoral movie, particularly for an eight-year-old to be watching. However, I was watching it. The better or worse, we can talk about that later. But it's about the end of the world, right? Independence Day. Any Independence Day fans? Like, that's a great movie, right? Yeah, end of the world. There's so many these movies we could go on and on talking about that are are depicting the end of everything as we know it. There was a TV show a while back. I never really got into it. It actually kind of concerned me a little bit how much everybody did get into it, but The Walking Dead, right? It's a show about the end of the world and that there's a zombie apocalypse. What was fascinating to me is how people got so engrossed in this show. I mean, they started watching it, and I had pastor friends who said that their Sunday night church attendance went down when The Walking Dead was on TV. People wanted to stay home and watched how the world was going to end, at least depicted by this show. It's insane to me. Now, there's other shows that I can get behind a little bit, and I'm about to confess something to you. Doomsday Preppers. Any Doomsday Preppers fans? Yeah, like I'm a little bit of a prepper. And the reason why is because when there was a toilet paper shortage a few weeks ago, you know who wasn't out of toilet paper? This guy, right? This guy. I am not concerned necessarily about the end of civilization as we know it. What I'm concerned about is being uncomfortable. And I like to eat, right? I like to eat. And so I feel like it's important to keep a a few groceries around, if you know what I mean, right? Now, Doomsday Preppers is fascinating to me because they have these people, and let's be honest, they're trying to make a TV show and they're trying to mock some of these people. They have more money than sense. You know what I mean? I watched this one. It was hilarious. This guy, he had built this house in the middle of the desert and it had like bulletproof walls. I mean, this thing, you could shoot a howitzer at it and this house is going to stand. And so he had, you know, he was all tricked out with all of his tactical stuff. He had on this vest and he had all of his guns and he had all of his wife and his kids, you know, and they like, now here's what we're going to do. When the bad guys show up, we're going to run out of the house and lay in the front yard. Okay. No joke. That was their plan. So they had bulletproof walls and they ran outside. Is that not intriguing to anybody besides me? That seems ironic to me. Okay. Why you, what? Never mind. That's here nor there. Right, So you have these segments of society, and the point of all of this is that everyone knows the end is coming. It's kind of fascinating when you think about it. I think the reason why we're so intrigued by this is that everybody knows sooner or later it's all going to end. Now, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know how it's going to come about, but everybody's trying to figure it out, and we're fascinated by the thought of our own demise. We're scared and excited about it all at the same time. Now, the truth is, and the Bible tells us that this world, as we know it, is coming to an end. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this truth should not scare you at all. In fact, it's the blessed hope. The end of the world is actually the hope that we're waiting for as believers. Jesus came and comes to rescue us from this world. Now, if you're a non-believer, the truth is a lot worse than anything the writers of The Walking Dead or Doomsday Preppers could come up with. And this truth should make us examine our life. And so this week, we're going to be looking at the rapture of the church. And the rapture of the church is an event in which Jesus is going to come back from heaven, gather his church, which is the Christians, and take them to heaven before the world ends as we know it. Now, when I was growing up, 
The rapture of the church was talked about all the time. Almost every weekend, the preacher would talk about how Jesus is going to come back and he could come back at any moment. And the believers were eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus. And they just knew it was before the child, before the weekend was over. Now, during my childhood, that scared me to death. Anybody grew up where you were scared to death, the rapture was always going to happen, you were going to miss it, right? I was scared to death. I don't know why. I was just scared to death because the popularity of the rapture was really high. During that period of time, I was growing up when the Left Behind uh, series, the fictional series, uh, was, was, was coming out, 65 million copies. And so everybody was talking about Jesus coming back. And, you know, they had the characters that were living in the end times. Not long ago, there was a guy by the name of Harold Camping. He was trying to predict, predict when the return of Jesus is. He failed once in the 80s. He convinced everybody he, he got it figured out this time, talked them out of all their money. Guess what? We're still here, right? The world's still going on. Now, at this point, a lot of people might be confused, thinking, what in the world is Austin talking about? And if you've been here any amount of time, that's probably not a new feeling for you, right? You're probably like, this guy's this guy guy confusing, all right? What is he talking about? The rapture of the church is the biblical truth that Jesus is coming back for the believers before the end of the world. And this is called the blessed hope. Now, since the rapture is a biblical truth, and catch this, since every single Christian is going to participate in the rapture, then we need to understand why this is the hope of Christ. Like if we're all going to go, it would behoove us to understand the blueprint of the rapture and why it should give us hope. Make no mistake about it. There is hope in the fact that Jesus is coming back. I'm going to read to you out of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, starting verse number 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. And we're going to read all the way through chapter number 5, verse number 11. Here's what the scripture says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, we have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon pregnant women, and they will not escape. But you are not darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. You are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live in him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another as you are doing. 
Now, when we start out the discussion of the rapture of the church in the end time, frankly, there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of information out there. I mean, there are a thousand different theories of what is supposed to happen and how it's going to happen. And I don't claim to be an expert in this and I don't really want to dive into all those different potential details. Instead, what we need to do today is we need to lay a foundation of understanding and then move on to a foundation of application. And so this message this morning is going to be a little bit different in its format. We're going to talk about understanding and then we're going to apply that understanding to application. And so this is kind of a part one, part two, if you will. First part, what is the foundation of this understanding of the rapture? What are some things that we need to know about the return of Jesus Christ? And the first thing I want you to catch is this, is that Jesus is returning for Christians. Jesus is returning for Christians. General Patton uttered the famous words in 1942. He promised to return to the Philippines. He said, I'm going to come back. Arnold Schwarzenegger made famous the term, I'll be back. And I really wish I could do that in the accent that Arnold does, but I would butcher it and it'd probably come out weak and sounding feminine and that would be embarrassing. So I'm going to pass on to that, right? Because you just can't match Arnold, right? I really want to do it. Move on. However, right, the ultimate promise, the true promise of coming back holds to the person of Jesus Christ. Catch this, 23 out of the 27 New Testament books speak of the return of Jesus Christ. One out of every 30 verses reference, reference his returning, the second coming, or the end time. So you can see that scripture speaks a lot of the return of Christ. And this passage in Thessalonians is talking and telling us that Jesus will return from heaven to gather the believers. This was a teaching that was very common for the first Christians. This was something that they held on to and they put their hope in that Jesus was coming back for his church. Now, we as Christians call this event the rapture. As you're probably familiar with, the, the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's a term that we have used because rapture means caught up, and that's what the Bible says happens. So we've given this event a term called the rapture. It's a word that we use to describe this that we see where the church is caught up and meets Jesus in the air. Now, here is a play-by-play of the rapture, the best that I can understand. According to this passage, everything is going to be going in the world. Jesus told his disciples that everyone is going to be saying, hey, there's peace on earth. We've never had it better. Everything is good. There's going to be marriages and weddings and parties and festivals. And then, boom, all of a sudden, there's a loud trumpet sound. The passage in Thessalonians tells us that when this trumpet sounds, that an archangel is going to shout. Now, we don't know exactly what this means, and we don't know what it's going to sound like, but what we do know is at that moment that Christians are going to be going through normal life, and suddenly they're going to hear this sound that they've never heard before, and that is their cue that Jesus is coming. Now, I would tell you this. I would not worry if you're a Christian on knowing, am I going to miss the trumpet sound? I, something tells me that when that happens, like you and I are going to know exactly what is going on. So when that sound is given, every Christian who has either lived or died, those people are going to meet Jesus in the the air. Now, what about the dead people? Well, the Bible tells us that the people who have passed away, who have died in the faith, are going to be resurrected with a new fleshly body. They're going to be flesh and bone and blood is going to be flowing through their veins and they're going to ascend into heaven. There's a supernatural reunion of soul and body in this moment where they're going to meet the Lord in the air. 
Again, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how that happens. The Bible tells us to be absent from this world is to be present with Christ. So I don't know exactly how this is going to work. The Bible says that Jesus is coming with us. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that the Bible makes it very clear that there is a resurrection of the dead. And those people who are raising in the rapture are going to eternal life with Jesus. Then every Christian who is alive will be transformed in a moment into a new eternal heavenly body. And then they're going to ascend into the air. Hopefully you're not afraid of heights, right? Because that's going to be like a cool moment where you're going up. Now, a lot of people ask, what's my waist size in heaven? We don't know. We don't know how old you are. We don't know any of those things. All I do know is we're going. Now, the crazy thing is, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 52, this entire event happens in the twinkling of an eye. And what scholars take that to mean is that this entire event happens at like the speed of light. Like, boom, it happens. Now, obviously, all these things are happening at once. It would be safe to assume, I think, that for Christians in the moment of rapture, that like time must slow down because there's so many details explaining what's happening, the only thing I can come to a conclusion is that you and I are going to experience this. And like, we're experiencing this in real time. But if you're not a Christian, what it appears is that suddenly a bunch of people disappear. And you're like, what in the world just happened? They're gone. Jesus confirms this to us in Matthew 25 because he says two people will be in the field. Suddenly one will be taken, the other one will be left. Two people are in the house, one taken, the other one left. Here's what else we need to know about the rapture. Second thing, foundational understanding, is that no one knows when the rapture is going to happen. This is vital to get, vital to get. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father only. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. Paul confirmed this in our passage that we read. It's like a thief in the night. Now, this is difficult for people and Christians because we want to know what the future holds. We check the weather channel to let us know what the weather's going to be like. We look at the farmer's almanac. We, we want to know what's coming up. We try to predict the future. Charity gets really irritated with me because we'll be watching a TV show, and I'll try to guess what's about to happen next. There's something innate inside of us that we want to know what's coming our direction. As technology advances... What's interesting is, is that we as humans have to claim ignorance of the future because we can't predict anything. Now, here's, that's never going to change. We need to understand that. God has not and will not tell us when the end is coming. That's a secret of his will. He has no intentions of telling us, and so I hope you like surprises. The rapture could happen before this service is over. It could happen next week. It could happen in 100 years. No one knows. Jesus said, I'm coming like a thief. This passage said it's like a thief. And by definition, if you knew a thief was coming, you'd be waiting for him, right? You're like, you're not breaking into my house, particularly Delaware County. We shoot at those people, right? You're not breaking into our house. But Jesus said it's like a thief. We didn't see it coming. Now, this is important because as clear, I mean, this is one of the most black and white things in the Bible. I mean, Jesus said, I'm not even sure when it's going to happen. And yet there's always going to be somebody who's a lunatic, and I use that word very intentionally, who says, but I have figured it out. Listen, it doesn't matter if those people have good intentions. It doesn't matter if they love Jesus. It doesn't matter their why. It doesn't matter their what. It doesn't matter their background. Jesus is very clear. 
no one knows. And yet, it never ceases to stop that people are still trying to predict when this is going to happen. And let me tell you something. It's a scam 100% of the time. You don't even have to give it a second guess. There's always going to be people who say, look, if you put this prophecy with that number and you times it by 45, that gives us the year 2000, blah, blah, blah. There's always somebody, and it's a scam 100% of the time. Now, this leads us to a theological understanding and truth. The fact of the matter is that no one knows but God, and since no one knows when Jesus returns, we should always be ready for his return. When we look at prophecy in Scripture and try to guess the time frame of his return, I believe we're missing the point altogether. The point of prophecy in Scripture is not to guess when the return is, it's to be ready for his return. And there's a fundamental difference. What good is it to guess when he returns if you're not ready to go in the return? Third foundational understanding we need to see is that the rapture will be the beginning of the end of the world as we know it. Now, this is where it gets a little bit fuzzy. The Bible teaches that Jesus is going to return, rapture his believers. It's the beginning of the world as we know it. Now, there's a lot of debate at this point, if you, if you study uh, this at all, as to the order of events. However, there are two things that we can take for certain that every Christian does believe, right? Jesus is returning, and when he returns, the world is never the same after that. Those are two truths that you can take to the bank. Now, the order and how that works is completely up for debate by a lot of Christians. We at this church believe, or I believe, speaking of myself at least, that when Jesus returns from heaven, that there's a seven-year what we call tribulation period after that, and the world just turns into chaos, right? I mean, just it's absolutely insane. You can read about it in the Bible. And the, the, the pivotal hallmark of this tribulation period is that God is pouring out his wrath upon the earth for the wickedness of the hearts of humanity. Now, it's, under, it's important to understand the purpose of this is for the salvation of the Jewish people. When you read about the end times, what you see is that there's a salvation of the Jews. It's God's final attempt to get them to see that Jesus is the Messiah and that there is a revival among the Jewish people. After the rapture, there's these wars, there's these famines, natural disasters, supernatural disasters. There's the Antichrist, the one world government. There's a lot of scholars believe that Three-quarters of the world population dies in this period. It's just a horrific time. No one wants to be left for the tribulation. And at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back and sets up his eternal kingdom. Now, there's a lot to that. And obviously, as I told you at the beginning, we don't have time to, to dig into the nuances. And if we did, there'd probably be 50 different opinions and ideas. Um, but I will answer this. I want to answer one. Why do I believe Jesus comes back before the tribulation versus after the tribulation? Those are kind of the two big ideologies and the reason why I believe that is for several reasons. The scriptures point to us being rescued out of the tribulation, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Uh, in our, even our own passage, verse 9, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and Revelations 3.10, those are just to name a few. There's a difference between persecution and tribulation. We're encouraged to endure persecution, but we never see to be ready to endure the wrath of God. We are children of God. God does not pour out his wrath upon us. And Paul is also encouraging people to get ready for the coming of Jesus. I mean, he's, he believed that it could happen in his lifetime. And that was 2,000 years ago. So if we should always be ready, there's very specific things that happen in the tribulation that we should be able to pinpoint and say, ah, that's it right there. We are in the tribulation. And Paul wasn't able to do that. Now, those are some facts. 
right? Those are some understandings. Hopefully that clears the mud for us. Now, what good does that do us on Monday? Like tomorrow morning when we wake up, what good do these facts do for us? How does that help us to have some hope? And here's the big idea. Because Jesus is coming for Christians, he gives us hope. Because Jesus is coming for you, it gives you hope. See, there are some implications in the concept and the understanding of the rapture. The rapture means victory for Christians. The rapture means Jesus is one. The rapture means you win. And our passage this morning, both in chapter 4, verse 18, and chapter 5, verse 11, we are told to encourage one another with this truth. So the fact that Jesus is returning should bring some encouragement and some hope to our lives. And the reason why I believe so many of us as Christians struggle is that we forget that we have a Savior that's coming to save us. This event is the blueprint for our hope, and it brings us to the feet of Jesus knowing that he has brought us some victory. We might die, but it's only for a season. Thessalonians says, like, falling asleep, and you're not going to sleep forever. You're going to wake up to be victorious through Christ. And when you understand that for your life, it changes everything. So what are the implications? Very quickly, I want to show those to you. The rapture shows us first that Jesus loves you. When Jesus won the victory on the cross and overcame death, hell, and the grave, it was for us, right? He could have left us dead in our sin. He could have left us rotting in our pain of our past. He could have left us with a broken, unhealed body. Instead, Jesus came, won the war for humanity, and the rapture shows us that he's given you that victory. A few years ago, you might remember the the fight between Mayweather and McGregor, and they fought for hundreds of millions of dollars each. Now, I want you to imagine that you were in that arena that day that Mayweather and McGregor fought each other, and it was over, and Mayweather won, and then he looked out into the crowd, and he said, you know what? This was the fight of my lifetime. It was the most money I've ever made for a fight, and you know why I fought? It was for you. Every dollar I just won out of this fight, I'm going to divide up and I'm going to give to every single person in this stadium. I fought this fight for you, and the $275 million is going to be divided amongst you guys. Now, how many of you guys are pretty excited at that point, right? Because it don't matter how many people are in that room, $275 million, a lot of money, and that's quite a ways to divide it up. And that's exactly what just happened in this moment. When Jesus comes back, it's him saying, I fought the fight. I won the purse, and now I'm giving it to you. It's a victory. That's exactly what Jesus did. When he shows up, it's a division of the spoils of his fight. And who's he giving it to? He's giving it to you and me. The rapture shows us we never have to question the love of Jesus. He went to extremes to save us. And if he went to those extremes, he's going to come back. What Paul's trying to do in this passage is to get us to look past what Jesus has done in order to look for the hope of the future. He's saying, look, Look to the past and what he's done. If he did that in the past, he's going to do something great for you in the future. When you look back at the cross, you see the love of Jesus. And when you look ahead to the rapture, you see the love of Jesus. So the bookends of your life are the cross and the rapture, and you are sandwiched between the love of Christ for your life. And that means victory for you. Second thing the rapture shows us is this, is that there's always hope. There is always hope. Jesus told us in John 14 that, He was preparing a place in heaven for us. So right now, Jesus is doing some work. He's preparing heaven for you and for me. And if he's doing that, he's going to come back for us. And that truth is hope. 
We can live in hope today, no matter what we're going through, knowing that Jesus is going to come back. The world might be in chaos. Our, our friendships, our relationships in life might be in chaos. Our family might be in chaos. But one thing is constant, and that is Jesus Christ and his love for you and for me. Your God has the victory, and you have the victory because of who you're aligned to and who your allegiance is with. If death can't hold us down, then why do we worry about what people say? If we know that we're going in the rapture someday, then why do we worry so much about the problems of life today? If we know that at the end of all things that everything is going to end, then why do we worry so much about the things that we eat or the things we drink or the worries and cares of this life? You have victory, therefore you have hope, and that changes everything. Notice what 1 Thessalonians said. We don't mourn like people who have no hope. Many of us in this room over this last week have remembered our lost loved ones in Christ. But listen, if they were Christians, then you have no reason to mourn like the world. See, that's the key phrase right there. doesn't mean that we're not hurting, we don't cry, we don't get broken for our lost loved ones, but we have hope in our mourning. And that changes how we approach the disasters and the tragedies of life. The bodies might be riddled with cancer, but there is resurrection of life. There might be minds that have lost their faculties, but there is a renewal in the presence of Jesus. And so when we lose loved ones, it hurts and we mourn. But we know that at the rapture, there is a glorious reunion and there is relief. The grave is not the end. And it does not have the final word for the life of a believer. There's hope in the rapture. The third thing the rapture shows us is this. It should motivate us to righteous living and to witnessing. One pastor said in one of the quotes that I was looking at, if you want to fill up the church, then talk about the rapture. I mean, if you want to sell books or you want to get a lot of people in your building, start talking about the end times events because everybody's fascinated and everybody will show up. We have to be careful not to be more concerned about the end time events than we are with the salvation of the saints and the loss of human life and the tribulation. We have to keep everything in perspective. Jesus is coming back and it shows that we have hope, but it's even more than that. The rapture should motivate us to righteous living. Jesus is coming for true believers to give them victory. But if you're not a true believer, then you're not going in the rapture. There'll be Christians on the last day who think that they're following Jesus, but they weren't. Their lives weren't in line with him. They, they did a few things that they thought were right here and there, but they never surrendered their life and their allegiance to Jesus. We have to examine our hearts and say, God, am I really in line with you or not? We are encouraged to always be ready and prepared to go at any moment, not out of fear of being left out behind, but out of desire to follow Jesus. So how do I know if I'm ready for the rapture? Well, what do you want in life? Do you want Jesus? Do you want what this song says? There's nothing else I want. I just want you. Is that the cry of your heart? God, everything I do, I want it to bring you glory. I want it to bring you honor. When I go work at my job, I'm going to do it for your glory and your honor. When I talk to my wife and my kids, I'm doing it for your glory and for your honor. I want to serve in church because of your glory and your honor. I'm going to give because of your glory and your honor. Everything I do, I want to be for your glory and your honor. If that's the call of our heart and we're following after Jesus, and the answer is you're ready to go. But if that is not the case, you say, you know what? I could take Jesus or leave him. Guess what? Then you get left. We have to be ready. 
And we have to make sure that other people in our lives are ready. I want to close with this if Charity wants to come back. The rapture is all about the hope of victory. Someday we're going to have complete and total victory. However, you can have victory today and you can have victory tomorrow. Jesus is not delaying victory in our life. The rapture is the blueprint of hope. It's the blueprint of victory. It's the blueprint of no matter what I'm facing in life, Jesus is going to rescue me someday. That's the whole point of the rapture. That's the whole point of the end times. So are you ready to go today? Today, as I'm speaking to you, there's obviously a fear of the virus and of death. And the rapture gives us hope in this season because even if we succumb to a virus or a car crash or heart attack or cancer, we have the hope that death is not the end. One day we'll rise out of this ground of victory. And that knowledge of that victory changes how we approach everything. It changes our countenance. It changes our vocabulary. It changes how we handle ourselves. It changes how we talk. It changes how we mourn. It changes us how we exercise wisdom, how we interact with those around us. Why? Because we know the end. If you want to know the end, you know the end. Jesus is coming for you, and you win. you would, please stand with me this morning. And as you stand, I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And If you're at home watching with us today, I want to encourage you to make a time for you and the Lord just for a moment. We're still at a place where we can't invite people to come down to the altar. And if you're at home, you... you where, where are you going to walk to? You're, you're in your living room. You're watching on your phone or your TV. So it's important for us in these moments just to tune everything out that's going on around us. And this entire moment is between us and the Lord. And it's encouraged upon us today to examine our heart. Where are we at with Jesus? Do we have the hope of his return in our heart? Or are we far from him? Today, there's two groups of us that I want to pray for. The first group is this. Is perhaps you're here and you don't know Jesus. Or you're watching today and you don't know Jesus. So you're listening. Let me tell you, the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life is to say, Christ, I'm following you. And when you make that decision, you say, you know what, Jesus, I, I've tried to live my own ways. I'm repenting. I'm turning the other way and I'm following you. That gives you the hope of heaven. In that moment, faith saves you, sets you free, and you're on a new course with him. And here in just a moment, I want to pray for you. The second group is, for the rest of us as believers, that hope would swell in our hearts and overflow into this lost world. That hope would swell in our hearts. No matter what we're facing, no matter what toil or tragedy comes our way, hope is in our hearts. And that hope would overflow to this world that is in desperate need of hope today. They have no hope. They're scared. They're worried. And we have an opportunity to be hope to them. So today, if you're at home or you're in this room, let's begin to examine our hearts. If you're here and you say, you know what? I need to get my life right with Christ. Or you're listening and you say, you know what? I need to get my life right with Christ. This morning, I'm going to pray. 
I don't want to pray for you specifically, but you pray for yourself. And all you have to do is just utter the words, Jesus, I'm turning to you. I'm repenting of my own life. Forgive me my sins. You are the Lord of my life. When you make that decision, the Bible says you're saved.